Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to finish this chapter today. Ephesians chapter 1. It's about the last fifth of your Bible. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we have black ones hopefully in front of you there in the seat racks nearby. You can turn to page 814, and that should get you right there. We're in a series called In Christ. We're studying the first three chapters of Ephesians this spring. And the reason why is because we want to learn what our new identity can be in Christ when we trust in Him. So we're looking at that today, and we're going to talk about the subject of authority. The message is entitled, Under His Authority. And I don't know about you, but when you hear authority, what kind of reaction does it produce in you? I can tell you that a lot of my life, I've kind of bristled when I heard the word authority. And uh, sometimes it was difficult for me uh, to understand why my parents asked me to do what they wanted me to do, my teachers, coaches, different leaders. And uh, so I remember that after I trusted Christ at 15, I still had struggles with authority. In fact, I remember where I first noticed it. I played uh, basketball on a YMCA team. And uh, so I was the point guard on that team. And I remember that every once in a while, the refs would make a call that, in my mind, was clearly a bad call. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I remember thinking to myself, oh, and I would just sometimes throw my hands up. I would argue. My parents were so proud of me. Anyway, (laughs) it was one of those times where I just saw that I had a problem. My parents just said, we've taught you to respect authority. You're having, that's something you got to pay attention to. I realized I was bumping up against authority. And uh, I I don't know, maybe you can relate. Uh, There's a well-known story, you've probably heard it, but about the little guy that was standing in his high chair. And uh, his mom said, okay, it's time to sit down in your high chair, it's time to eat and stuff like that. And the little guy said, I don't want to. And she said, well, I I know that, but I'm going to ask you again, would you please sit down in your high chair and try to be calm and everything? And the little guy said, no, I'm not going to do that. She said, well, uh, let me just... Uh, spell it out. If you decide you don't want to sit down, uh, dad's coming home in a little bit, and maybe we can change your mind on that. Anyway, the little guy sat down. So the mom thought she'd won that one, only to hear her son say a few moments later, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I am standing up on the inside. (laughs) And again, some of us, some of, I know some people that are incredibly compliant on the outside. They look like just a model person. But the inside, you find out their real heart, they're standing up. Some people stand up on the outside and on the inside. Have you ever noticed that? The thing is about authority is the Lord wants us to understand authority in such a healthy way that when he changes us from the inside out, the way we respond to authority is from the inside out, not just from the outside in. He wants to teach us about this. And that's what the message is going to help us look at today as we come to this last part of Ephesians 1. But before we do that, can I just uh, kind of pull together where we've been the last couple weeks? Last Sunday, we came to Ephesians 1 where Paul prays. And if you're following along in the notes, here's the sentence that I want you to think about as we think about the message today. Paul prays that we'll know his great power for us who believe. Paul prays that we'll know his great power for us who believe. And remember, it wasn't just head knowledge. He prays that we'll know by firsthand experience God better and also the hope, the riches, and the power that he has for us already in Christ. Now, he prays that. And uh, power has everything to do with authority. 
And how we use power, how we use authority is going to be talked about in this passage. The word authority will actually show up in what we're going to read in just a moment. But here's the second thing I want to just tie back from several weeks ago. As we finish Ephesians 1, I, I, I think you know that Paul starts out by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so we see that it's, it's about the Father. And the opening verses show us that as our Father, God has done incredible things to restore our relationship with him. He chose us before the creation of the world. He adopted us into his family. He redeemed us from our past, and he gave us a great future, and he has sealed us by his Holy Spirit for a future that's incredible. So he's done all those things as our Father. But then we also saw that he has a plan. He is working out a plan. He is not just a father, but he also is a king. So if you're following along, Ephesians 1 teaches us that God is both our father and king. Now, why is that important? Because many people want God as father. They want that relationship, and they should. And that is a wonderful thing, that God would be that kind of father to us who cares about us, that wants to enrich our lives and empower our lives. But the other part is, is that some people don't want God as king. You know, they, they don't want him, they don't want the responsibility of the relationship. They just want the relationship. And all of us struggle with that, don't we? And so Jesus, in his prayer, in the Lord's prayer, he wanted to make sure every time we pray, we remember things like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next part? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you're not just my father, but you're also the king. You have a kingdom, and may your will be done here on earth the way it's being done in heaven. May it be done in my home, in my job, in my school, in my workplace, in my decisions. May your will come, and so God is both father and king. Which leads us to understand that Jesus... He placed us in Christ, and Christ came not just then to be our Savior, to bring us into a relationship. He came to be Lord, to help us have a responsibility with God as our King. And therefore, the lie we saw up in the screen is, is it's tempting, isn't it? That if when we believe in Christ, we're willing to believe in Him as Savior, but we don't want to submit to His authority as Lord. And we actually think we're gaining something by that. We actually think, oh, that's a good deal. I'll actually become all I want to be and still, you know, get my own way. And he says, no. Instead of making us bigger people, whenever you and I live that way by not submitting to his authority, we become smaller people, less, not bigger, not, not more. And so there's this tension. And I don't know if you've ever sensed it, but boy, I would say it's been one of the things that I've had revisit my life again and again. In fact, I would probably say almost every day. Almost every week, I have to, again, say, is Jesus going to be both Savior and Lord in my life? Is he gonna be, God going to be both King and Father in my life? So I want to talk about that. But in order to appreciate that, in order to get there, this passage says, look, I want to show you Jesus' place in authority, his place of authority, because when you begin to understand that, then you can begin to live 
according to that vision that I want you to see that God has for us, this picture of how to live. And then I want to show you how your identity links up with that. So that's what we're going to do in just a moment. Look at this passage. But I want to just pray because I am so conscious that just like a branch with a vine, it's absolutely important that we depend on him in order for him to fill us and give us life. Lord, we just acknowledge right now that the Christian life isn't just about being smarter. It's about knowing you firsthand, knowing you by head and heart. And so we pray that you'd reveal yourself to us. I can't do that. You can. And I ask, Lord, that you would use this time, this service, in a way that might blow our minds if we could see what you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to read this passage, and I'm going to start back in verse 18. And when I get to verse 20, there's actually two gray boxes there with verses. I'll give you the cue, and we'll read together. Let's see more about this prayer that Paul prays. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that your eyes may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And here's the phrase, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when? Are you ready to read with me? He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Would you drop down and read the next part with me? And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, in this passage, he, he shows something about Jesus that if you and I begin to understand what Jesus is doing right now, if we can see him in maybe ways we have not, it will help us as we think about submitting to his authority. Question. When I ask you what you picture, when you picture Jesus, what do you picture? Over the years, when I've asked people that, or when I've thought about even myself, it's, it's easy to picture a carpenter walking dusty roads in Palestine, and that, like, we kind of picture, or we picture Jesus uh, looking at us with a beard or something like that. And friends, again, no disagreement there. That's certainly historically true. What I would say is, is that he's not that anymore. This passage shows us that he is at the highest place of the universe, operating and ruling right now in ways that are beyond our perception and imagination in ways. That he is actually at the right hand with God the Father, co-equal with God. And that when people walk into his presence, they hit the deck. They are overwhelmed with his awesome authority. This isn't something where someone says, okay, it's time to bow now. No one has to even do that. That's why, again, people just hit the deck. We read in Revelation and other places when they meet him. And even when they saw him on earth where he was just glorified for a moment, they just could not believe, oh my goodness, I misread who you are. I have whittled you down to something smaller than you are. So I just bring that up because what I want you to see this morning is that God, as king, has created 
a world related to authority and how you and I relate to authority, how you and I understand authority makes a huge difference. So let's just go. Here we go. First, if you didn't already know this, God created the world with an order of authority. God created the world. He established the world. He designed the world with an order of authority, authority structures, uh, governing authorities. In other words, you and I have seen this before. We've seen it in government. We've seen it in uh, families. We've seen it in teams, schools. Uh, you can see it in lots of different ways, but there are certain appointed authorities. Look at Romans 13, 1 and 2, for instance, that I've referenced out to the right. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, it doesn't say let everyone but me. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has what? Established. Then it goes on and it says, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Do you see again? He's established authorities. Now look at this next part in 1 Peter. Look what it says. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to what? Every human authority. Now, Americans resist this. We just, it's just part of our nature, our rugged individualism, our independent spirit. So we just go, well, hey. And when sometimes what we do is we, uh, we, we don't understand that. And again, I just want to tell you as a pastor, if I've learned anything, it's that some of the greatest problems in families and in people's lives are their struggle with authority. Sometimes it's because people have misused their authority. And so they've experienced that and they go, now I can't even respect the institution that God ordained and established. I have a hard time with that. But parents, one of the things we're responsible for is to teach our kids to respect authority. And this is going away in our culture in a frightening way. Many of us go, I don't, I doesn't, the world doesn't look very established in an orderly way right now, but God is a God of order. And therefore, he established this authority structure that if we begin to understand it, we can actually excel in it rather than always fight against it. The second thing is, is that he gave us certain authority to represent him. He gave us certain authority to represent him. How did he do this? If you see out to the right there, there's Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Look at this on the screen, if you would. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Notice, both male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Do you notice again, he invests people with a measure of responsibility and authority and power. He just says, I'm going to give you this responsibility. Now, some of us go like, give me an example. So first, he gave Adam the opportunity to name the animals. And some people go, well, that's a breeze. Dog. No, there's a lot more involved than that. If you've ever studied taxonomy, you know that there was a lot of animals in the garden. And it was actually a very esteeming, empowering thing for him to share that responsibility with Adam. And he actually let the animals be what Adam named them. Then he also gave Adam and Eve a joint responsibility to oversee and tend what? The garden. 
This garden wasn't a six by 12 plot of land, friends. This was a gorgeous garden. And he said, I want you to take care of it. I want you to watch over it. I want you to oversee it with me. It's my garden, but I've placed you in it and I've given you an opportunity. I want you to represent me. Even when I'm not, you know, uh, you know, right there with you, I want you to represent me. So that all went about. Now notice that that did not stay that way. Notice the next part. We exalted ourselves and Jesus humbled himself for us. We exalted ourselves and Jesus humbled himself for us. Had Adam and Eve just chosen to continue to work with God, the Father, that way, things would have continued on in a way that would have been incredible and orderly. But instead, what did they do? They listened to the serpent who himself had rebelled. Did you know that Lucifer at one time was the worship leader of heaven? The Bible tells us that rather than lead people in the worship of God as his superior, he decided, I will ascend and be like the Most High. He wanted to be higher than God. He wanted God's place. And the Bible says is that with that decision, he and a third of the angels were thrown out of heaven because of their rebellion. And that now, what's at work in the world, the spirit of the world, is the spirit of disobedience. And in, in the spirit of the evil one is in working in all those who are disobedient. It's the spirit of rebellion against God's established order his order of authority. And so instead of Lucifer just doing that, Satan doing that, the Bible says every one of us have gone our own way. Every one of us has said, I want to be God. And that may sound like a tame thing, but that's literally not our place of authority. And we're trying to actually rule our own little kingdoms in our own world. And when that happened, as we exalted ourselves, the only way to make that right was for God's son to humble himself and come and die in our place on a cross. And this is a powerful thing. If you've never seen it, look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's a great reminder for those of us that have. It says, now in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, the same mindset as Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, notice he's co-equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That must have been humbling after being in the glory of God the Father at that time. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see what's going on? From the highest heights before the creation of the world, he stepped down into our fallen world and humbled himself to the lowest place. And that looks like a mistake. But in fact, something big was about to happen. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should what? Bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what, friends? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So this is a law that God built into his established authority. Here it is, Luke 14, 11. Jesus said this often in his teaching. Um, he said, let's read it together. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, we wanted to exalt ourselves, and we threw the whole 
created order into chaos when we do that. I just, I just ask you, have you ever seen what that does when one person exalts themselves in a family? Have you ever seen it? It's ugly. It's chaos. Have you ever seen it when it happens in a school? Have you ever seen it when it happens on a team? Have you ever seen when it happens in a church? Friends, that kind of thing is not paying attention to God's beautiful created order. And when we do that, it just goes a different way, doesn't it? So notice that when he humbled himself to the lowest place by dying on the cross, then here's what happened. All those who would believe in Christ, if you're following along, now in Christ, we're his body, his church, which, by which he fills everything in every way. In Christ, we're now his body, his church, by which he fills everything in every way. This is a beautiful image. The idea is, is that he is now the head of the church. And so some people go, oh, wait, 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 wait a second. Head just means he's the leader, right? He's got the title. No. By head, what he means is he's not just head over the church, by the way, he's head over everything for the church. But it says that he's using an image, a physiological image. He's talking about the brain. Let me just ask you, have you ever seen a human body that is not responding properly to the impulses of the brain? Have you ever seen a, a hand that no longer is responsive to those impulses, and therefore, how productive is that hand? It's not. And he's saying, look, you and I now, when we trust in Christ and submit ourselves to him as Lord, we now become members of his body that he fills with his purpose and his power so that we can what? Fill everything in every way, wherever we walk, wherever we go. Imagine yourself this week, as you walk into your office, your home, your school, your church, wherever you may be, and imagine if God is filling you with his power in such a way that instead of pulling it down or creating chaos and disorder, you actually are lifting it up and you're doing something that blesses instead of curses. Incredible. And this is what he wants us to be about. This is a vision. He's saying, look, I want to show you where I'm taking human history. And it may look like things are not in order now, but I have a plan. Look at what it says in Ephesians 1.10 about this plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, God will bring everything together under what, friends? The authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. So some of us go, well, I don't, I don't want to be under the authority of Christ. I'm going to I want to do my own thing. Well, you may be able to do it for a while, but your plan is eventually going to give way to his plan. And the Bible says there's coming a day when every knee is going to bow, some willingly, some begrudgingly. What's it going to be? God's saying, I made you to be endowed with authority so that you can actually join me in my mission in the world. And when you do that, you will, your identity will be so empowered, you will begin to look at everything that you're responsible for differently. So that's where I want to go. I want to talk about your identity of being under his authority. And I want to use two Bible stories to kind of bring it together. Because you realize, don't you, that you don't, have, you don't have to submit to his authority. If you decide not to, if you decide to walk out of here and say, I'm not doing that, you can do that but I want you to see what it means if you do. So here we go. Uh, first, under his authority, we can kick against the goads of his authority. We can kick against the goads 
of his authority. I bet some of you didn't wake up saying, we're going to talk about goats today. <laughs> it's a Bible word. It's actually from the ancient Middle East. And again, have you ever seen a goat? Do you know what a goat is? Here, here's a goat up here on the screen. See, it's a, it's a stick. It's a long stick, and it's got a pointed uh, tip on the end. And I'll explain more about it in just a little bit. But let me read the passage that this comes from, all right? So Acts 26, some of you know that the apostle Paul used to be called Saul before he came to know the Lord. His name was eventually changed. And so a lot of times, you've probably heard this, my name is Jeffrey Paul Nelson. Before I was a Christian, it was Jeffrey Saul Nelson. I'm kidding. <laughs> but the point is, it's always helped me remember. So here it is. You're going to see Saul, who is Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter. So he's telling his testimony years later before a Roman king. Okay, here it is. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when you see the word name, like sometimes some of us have the habit of praying in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers. Nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know what you're saying? You're not saying in Jesus, Jesus. You're saying in the character and authority of Jesus, I pray. I'm now in Christ. And he's given me his character and his authority to be in my life. I pray in his name, okay? So he says, I wanted to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic and Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, who is Saul persecuting? church. Jesus' body. He says, you're hurting me when you hurt my people like that. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, this is fascinating to me. Saul meets Jesus on the road. Jesus goes, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, you know, like, who are you, Lord? And what Jesus says to him is this. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And those sticks that we showed you, the picture of that, is that in those days, this was a common phrase that was used by people then because many farmers and people had livestock. And when the oxen were pulling the different plows and things like that, carts, sometimes they, they, they just needed some guidance and some prodding. And so they would just, every once in a while, if they became stubborn or wouldn't move, they would just stick them real quick. It wasn't never meant to be violent or that kind of stuff. They'd just stick them, and it would be, oh, okay. And they would just move like that, okay? What happened is, is that when they got stuck like that, if they decided to kick back, can you picture this? 
like that. If they decide to kick back, who won? The goad won. And it, all it did was hurt them. All it did was realize, you are running into a brick wall. You have bumped smack dab into my authority. And you will never win when you kick against the goats. You may, it may look like you're winning for a while, but ultimately all you're doing is ruining your life. And you're moving farther away from your purpose. It is hard for you to kick against. I wonder if there's someone here today, you've been kicking against the goats. And the Lord's saying to you, look, I'm appealing to you. I'm inviting you to follow me and serve me. But if you decide to keep kicking against the goads, it's your call. Oh, man. Second story I want you to see is this, as far as our identity, is that it's under his authority that we best exercise our authority. It's under his authority that we best exercise our authority. So, have you seen this story about the Roman centurion? It's found in Matthew 8. I've listed it out to the right. By the way, this is no extra charge. I got excited this week because I made a learning that I'd never made before. Some of you have already made it, so you can just go, I'm glad he caught up with me. But here's the thing. Centurion, when you hear the word centurion, what's the first word you, you hear? Century, right? So century is how many years? Right. So how many soldiers was a Roman centurion over? I thought, I get it. <laughs> so this Roman centurion, okay, has responsibility in the Roman army. So notice this. Here it is on the screen, Romans 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now this guy wasn't from Israel, you know, Israelite background. He hadn't been to synagogue school. He was just a, a tough Roman soldier. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Whew. What does he see in Jesus? But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith, such great trust in my authority. And then verse 13 tells us how this ends. Notice what happens. It says, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now, I want to just show you something here on the screen because I want this to be something that maybe you can think about this week as you think about your own life. Because I wonder if you realize your identity in Christ if you're a believer, no matter what your station is in life, no matter what your title is in life, I want you to see what this centurion understood. The centurion uses interesting language. He says, I'm a man under authority and I also have people under my authority. He understood authority, how it works, and also his place in God's order of authority. And so he says, look, I want to come to you, Jesus, because I recognize that you have greater authority than I do. In fact, I'm not even worthy 
to have you come to my house. You are so much greater than me. And all you have to do is say things and things happen under your authority. So I'm coming to you because I have a servant who's under my care, who I'm over as far as responsibility. And I want to ask you if you would help me with what I'm watching over. And Jesus is amazed that someone that would normally be considered far from God understands what sometimes the most religious people were blind to. And he goes, you bet I'll help you. And he does. Now here's why I bring this up. All of us, no matter what your age, no matter what your title or position in this world, all of us have things that we are over. Things that are under our care. Things that we are responsible for. And when we think about those, what God wants to say to us is, are you going to handle them in your own authority, or are you going to handle them with my authority? Well, if you'll submit to my authority, I will fill you and flow through you in a way that you'll be able to handle it and use it and deal with it in the way that I intended, because I'm a God of order and I'm a God of authority. Or are you going to do it your own way? And I want to just ask you, if this Roman centurion had not handled the authority the way he had, how would that have affected his servant? Not very good. But when someone is yielded to Christ, everybody near them wins. Everybody does. And God wants us to know that power. So as we bring this home, let me just ask you to think about these things with me. How do we learn to be convinced of our identity that we've been empowered to be people under his authority in Christ. The first question I want to ask you under learning to be convinced is this. Do I gratefully recognize his authority over me? Do I gratefully recognize his authority over me? Like the Roman centurion. Do I recognize? Lord, I thought I was the head of the show. I thought I'd do whatever I want, anytime. And I'll buck any other authority that comes against me. Or do I say, you know what? Oh, man, I've thought like that before, but now I'm starting to understand. No, I recognize your authority over me. I recognize your authority over me first as my father who redeemed me and loves me enough to restore my relationship with you because I rebelled against you. But I also recognize your authority over me as king because you're not just king over me. You're king over everything, including everything I have. You're the king. Do you and I recognize that? You know, maybe you've heard this story before, but... We've told it in the past. You know, during the Crusades, those awful Crusades, when Christians killed Muslims, you know that it was in such a dark period that people in places of authority in the Christian world actually hired mercenaries to kill Muslims and vice versa. And part of the reason why we're struggling today, friends, with what's going on with these extremist jihadist groups is they are killing Christians in the same way that Christians, once quote-unquote Christians, misusing their authority, killed Muslims. They would come and they would say, convert or else, and they would use their swords to deal power. Well, because they were doing something that was so twisted, some of these mercenaries knew what was going on. And when they made the mercenaries first be baptized before they went out on these crusades, you know what they did? 
they would, when they were being baptized, they held their swords out of the water as a way to say, I still want to be able to use my sword the way I want to. And friends, I don't know what it is for you. I've held my sword out of the water in the past. I remember I, had, I was dating a girl that I knew the Lord didn't want me to date, not because she was so bad, but because we couldn't share a relationship with Christ. We didn't have that in common. And I was being disobedient to him. And I'm telling you what, man, I was trying to live with my sword out of the water. And he's saying, come on, either submit to me as Lord or not at all. Receive me as Lord or not at all. That's what I came for. All the scriptures, by the way, that talk about salvation, talk about this. Everyone who calls on the name of the what, friends? Lord will be saved. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Everyone who believes on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Friends, this is about Lord. This is about him being in charge of our lives. But why? Because he's earned the right to do that by his death and humility. And so again, where is that at? This last thing is this. Will I trust and obey him with all that's under my care? Will I trust and obey him with all that's under my care? Have you ever stopped and think about the list of what's under your care? Yesterday, I cut the lawn. I love cutting the lawn. I realize that it's under my care. My, life, my wife likes when I cut the lawn. She likes how our yard looks better when I cut the lawn. Okay? The reason I like cutting the lawn is because it's the one time of the week I feel like I, I can make a difference that I can see. The point is, is that it's, I realized even yesterday, a small task like that, this is under my care. It's not my lawn. God owns it all. But if I will handle this responsibility with God and let him work his authority through me, this can be a joyful task. I've learned to wash dishes in the name of the Lord. I've learned how to do very difficult things. I have some challenging things coming up this week, and I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do it in his power and authority instead of my own. But what I've learned is this, and you have too, is that in Ephesians 4 through 6, we're going to see how this all plays out. We're going to see how it affects the way we use our time, our money, our relationships, our family, our work, everything. This has huge impact, but do we understand our identity properly as under his authority? So let me just tell you a closing story. Because in a church service like this, you probably wonder what could possibly happen. Last Sunday, I got a phone call, a voicemail that I got to listen to later, and it was a guy that was now 85 years old, lives down in Lake St. Louis. I didn't know the guy. And he just said, I'm just calling because I used to be part of South 7th Street Baptist Church 70 years ago. I thought, wow, that's the church before it became Cherry Hills. So over there on South 7th Street, he said, on Easter Sunday 70 years ago today, I yielded my life to Jesus as Lord. And he said, I'm so happy as I worship and glorify God on Easter today because I look back as at a turning point in my life. So I called the guy. And I said, tell me more about that. What happened? He says, well, in those days, I sang a lot in our church services, even though I was a teenager. And he said, they asked me to sing the hymn, He Lives. And he said, you know how that hymn starts? He says, it starts this way. I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. And he said, when I got to that first part, I serve a risen Savior. He said, I wasn't expecting this, but at that moment, 
God grabbed me and helped me understand. I was under full conviction that I was a liar. Not because Jesus wasn't alive, but because I wasn't serving him. And I realized that I was just self-centered and I was leading my own life. And at that moment, I had to keep singing, but I'm under this conviction. So he says, the second verse was rough. I got to the third verse and he says, somewhere between the first and the third verse, my heart said, I'll yield to you. You're my authority. He says, I got done. I sat down and the pastor looked at me and Pastor Lucas, he says, he looked at me, he says, Bobby, I don't know what happened to you between the first and the third verse but it looks like God's doing something in your life, and I affirm it. He said, eventually, uh, my wife was in that church. We were both baptized. We got married there. I was called to be a pastor. He said, for the last 70 years, I've been serving the Lord. He said, that was the turning point of my life. Cherry Hills. We are his body, the church. If we will yield to him, he will fill us. He will fill us in ways that we cannot imagine to touch this city, to touch our homes, to touch our world. That's what he wants to do as our father and king is to place us in Christ under his authority. So the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to submit to his authority. So as we get ready for communion, we're just going to prepare our hearts to think about that.